And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ, and comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, Glenn Ford stars in his detective series, The Adventures of Christopher London, from 1950. Then, J. Carol Nash stars as Italian immigrant Luigi Basco on part one of a comedy episode of Life with Luigi. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Hey, how was your St. Patty's Day? It was It was just like any other day. Yeah, was it good? Um, if every day is good, then it was good. Did you drink a lot of Roma wine? I, I didn't. I, no? I didn't. How about you, Mike? I didn't do much. No? Oh, what did about you wear you? green? Of course I did. Okay, good. And you? Yeah. Oh, you sure. wore no green. I wore green. You did in not my wear mind. green. In my mind. <laughs> you know what? We're going to listen to something very interesting. It's the uh, premiere episode in a series called The Adventures of Christopher London. Glenn Ford starred in his own detective series created by Earl Stanley Gardner. Now, Earl Stanley Gardner created Perry Mason. This was Ford's first regular radio series. It was a top-notch thriller with Ford as a private investigator with an adventurous wanderlust reminiscent of Alan Ladd's Box 13, Herbert Marshall's The Man Called X, and Brian Donlevy's Dangerous Assignment. Came to radio in 1950. This was a time when radio was struggling to stay relevant as TV was exponentially growing. CBS and NBC Radio worked very hard to lure top movie talent to their microphones, and Glenn Ford was no exception. You're going to enjoy this program. Let's go back to February 26, 1950. This is called The Price of Sugar. Here's Glenn Ford in The Adventures of Christopher London. With a knife in his back, a nameless Filipino in San Francisco. With a bullet in her body, a girl in mid-Pacific. But there were others. There were so many others, 8,000 of them on an island in the Philippines. The National Broadcasting Company presents Christopher London, created especially for radio by the world's foremost mystery writer, Earl Stanley Gardner, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and starring Mr. Glenn Ford. I am Christopher London. The whole thing started with a vague conversation about the murder of an unknown Filipino. Mr. Anders, president of the San Francisco Sugar Company, either could not or would not say what, if anything, he suspected. I'm sorry, Mr. London. I can't tell you what I think because I don't know what I think. I get the impression that it's not the murder that worries you. Why should it? I never saw the man. I have no idea who he was or why he tried to get to me. 
A knife in his back, the doctors wonder how he ever made it to my door. A knife in his back with your name and address in his pocket. And his body terribly scarred as if he'd been beaten for years. Yes, it's all very mysterious. Yeah. But the police are investigating. I suppose they'll learn the truth in time. That's not what I wanted to see you about. Well, what else, then? The price of sugar. The price of sugar? Exactly. Now, this is all I can tell you. We've... Uncle Ted, I wonder... Oh, what... come in, dear. Oh. Yeah, this is Christopher London, my niece, Linda. Oh, I've heard about you, Mr. London. Oh, now, whatever you've heard, I deny every word of it. <laughs> <laughs> is Mr. London sailing with me, Uncle Ted? Uh, maybe on the same ship would be a better way to put it. Yes, my dear, I wanted to go to Manila. Oh, then you'd better go, Mr. London. Whether you want to or not, you're as good as aboard ship already. Well, I'd better get ashore, Mr. London. Well, it's still a few minutes. Yeah, I suppose. How do you like the stateroom? Oh, it's very elegant. Good. Now, um... Is there anything else you want to know? You want me to find out how a company named Southern Cross is able to go on underselling your product. And that's all? That's all. Frankly, Mr. Frankly, Mr. Anders, I don't get the reason for all this, this outlay of money here. This stateroom. Is... Don't you? Maybe it's because if you don't come back, I'd like to think you died at luxury. Oh, sure, let's go in the shore. Well, oh, sure. bon voyage. Linda will be waiting oh, sure, for me at the gangway. Oh, sure. Keep an eye on her, will you? And uh, look out for yourself, too. The ship was beautiful, the night was dark, and the sea was calm. Hawaii was a long way beyond the horizon, and Manila and the Philippines still farther. The girl beside me at the rail was very, very lovely. She sighed rather happily and said, My uncle said you'd probably ask me a lot of questions. Did he, Miss Anders? Won't Linda do? Linda? Christopher. <laughs> now that we've got that settled, let's uh, get back to the questions your uncle said I would ask. Did he say what they'd be? Mm, not exactly. Uh -huh. Well, did he say what your answers would be? Uh, not, not exactly. exactly. Yes. <laughs> Shall we walk around the deck? We walked once around the deck, and then we went into the cocktail lounge and had a coffee and brandy at a little table in a quiet corner. You know, Christopher, I think this is going to be a good voyage. Well, I hope it is. Have you ever been out to Manila before? Oh, lots of times. I've gone with my uncle every time he went, ever since I can remember. I... Oh, my parents died when I was a baby, if that explains anything. It does, a little. I suppose you know a lot about your uncle's business, then. That's one of the questions he said you'd ask me. And the answer? <laughs> the answer is yes. I think I know as much about his business as he does. You're a very interesting girl, Linda. You know, that's what I always say. I always say, Linda, you're a very interesting girl. <laughs> oh, don't look now, but Howdy, there's a boy. man coming. You don't know me and I don't know you, but that ain't no reason why we can't yell at each other over the fence now, is it? I'm Jim Blake from Texas, a lone star state. And where I go, I buy the drinks. A waiter. Coming, sir? Uh, won't you sit down, Mr. Blake? Well, I am sitting, thank you, ma'am. My name's Blake. Yes, that's what I thought you said. One of the New Jersey Blakes, no doubt. Well, now, you know that is real funny. Oh? Oh, I'm sorry. People's always joking me about Texas. What'd you say your name was? I didn't say... However, it's London, Christopher London. Well, I'm mighty glad to know you, Chris. What'll you and Mrs. London have? Fifteen or twenty years later, Linda and I pried ourselves out of the heart of Texas. She said she was tired, so I took her to her stateroom door. Good night, Linda. Sleep well. Oh, uh, come in for a minute. What? Hmm. All right. Just for a minute. There's something I want to give you. Sit down while I find it. 
Maria not finished yet. No, ma'am, but pretty... Linda's personal maid, a pretty girl from the islands, was still unpacking trunks. In a moment, Linda returned with a small, decorated jewel case in her hands. Oh, here it is. Christopher, keep it for me, will you? Oh, now, look, if this is jewelry, you'd better give it to the purse. Oh, keep oh it no, no, safe. it's not jewelry. Well, then, do you mind if I ask just what it... Well, it, it's nothing. It, it's just that I'd rather you kept it. All right. Good night, Linda. Until tomorrow, Christopher. I took the jewel case back to my stateroom and found that somebody had shoved a note under my door. It read, Take off that beard, we know you. Hmm, the writer had a sense of humor. But in my experience, the most dangerous enemies are those that laugh. I took a closer look at the little jewel case. It had one of those intricate Chinese locks that are easy to break, but not easy to open without the proper key. I put the box in a pillowcase and carried it to the office of the ship's doctor... Now, what can I do for you, Mr. London? Uh, your laboratory is equipped with X-ray, I suppose, Doctor? Yes, of course. Uh, well, I, I know this sounds a little strange, but I, I wonder if you'd take a picture of this, this box here, just as it is. It was exactly what I expected. I carried the box back to my stateroom, shoved it under the bunk, and went to bed. I don't know how long I'd been asleep when suddenly there was a knock on the door. I was out of bed like a shot. Just a second. Yes? Miss Anders, ask if you will come at one. What? Oh, yes, yes, all right. I'll be there in a minute. Put on a pair of pants and shirt, hurried into the corridor and collided with... Look, look where you're going, can't you? Oh, well, howdy, London. Uh, sorry, in a hurry. Come in, Christopher. What's the matter? Well, nothing's the matter. I just couldn't sleep, and I was lonely. Oh, no. Oh, uh, look... Look, do you realize it's 2 a.m.? Well, of course, if you'd rather go back to bed. All right, all right. What do you want to do? Would you like to play some gin rummy? No, I wouldn't like to play some gin rummy. No. Well, men love to talk about themselves. Let's talk about you. Okay, get the cards. We played a few hands in silence, and then Linda asked... Christopher. What? What did you think of Mr. Blake, the Lone Star Stranger? You ever been in Texas? No, why? Oh. Well, I wonder if he has. You mean you think... Oh, forget it. You know, I've got gin. Oh. And now, if you think that I've been away from my cabin long enough, I'm going back. Away from your cabin long enough? I don't understand. Well, I just wondered if that precious jewel box of yours would still be there. Christopher, you don't think somebody's taken it? Would it make any difference? You opened it. But you had to break the lock off, didn't you? Well, what are you talking about? Because the lock was filled with solder. It couldn't be opened. Well, I didn't open the case, Linda. Then why are you so casual about it? Because it was filled to the top with just what you said was in it. Nothing. But, uh... Now, I'll save you the trouble of asking. I had the thing x-rayed. Oh. Yes, you can say that again. <laughs> oh, forgive me, Christopher. It was just a... sort of a trial. My uncle and I wanted to be sure you were clever enough for this job. And you are clever, Christopher. Really clever. You're the only man I ever met who's smarter than I. Christopher? Hmm? Would you consider kissing me goodnight? Yeah. I'll consider it. When I finally got back to my stateroom, the jewel case was no longer under the bed where I'd put it. But I think that as I went to sleep again, I may have had a smile on my face. 
The days that followed were filled with shuffleboard, and the nights were filled with dancing. Jim Blake, the Texas steer, was usually close by, but in time, well, in time he got used to him, as you would a bad head cold. Every night when I turned in, I could expect to find another humorous little message tucked under my door, such as, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and you'll be a long time dead. Meanwhile, in odd moments with Linda, I managed to get a little more information about sugar growing and refining. One moonlit night when we were together on the boat deck. Mm, isn't it magic, darling? Isn't it simply magic? Christopher, I'm talking to you. What? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. What are you thinking about? Oh, sugar, I guess. Oh. Now, you say this Southern Cross Company is selling sugar at a price that is actually below your cost. That's right. Well, are your costs higher than they should be? They're as low as any in the industry, and I don't want to talk about it now, darling. Oh, perhaps they may have developed some new and better method of refining Possibly. sugar. Possibly. That's what you're supposed to find out. Christopher. Hmm? I'm cold. A few days after leaving Honolulu on the way to Manila, we entered a bank of thick fog, like a damp, clinging shroud. And it was in the fog that tragedy struck. Suddenly and without warning. I was standing at the rail near the stern, looking out at nothing, listening to the foghorn and the beat of the ship's engines, when... Well, I couldn't see a thing. I ran in the direction of the sound. Groping through the fog, I found... I found a white coat flapping emptily, caught in a boat davit. It was Linda's coat. It was an apparently harmless mission that Anders had asked me to undertake... Simply to find out how it was possible for a rival sugar refining company to undersell his product. Mr. Anders had warned me that the job might be dangerous, and so it was. I stood on deck in the swirling fog, holding Linda's coat in my hands and feeling sick at heart. The liner's searchlights were vainly glaring through the mist. But it was useless, and everybody knew it. I started for the radio room to send a message to Anders big figure moved behind me. Christopher, who was it? Linda. What's the matter? And, and what are you doing with my coat? Uh, Linda. I told Maria to wear it when I sent her to look for you, and then I... Christopher. Was it Maria? I'm afraid so. Oh. Poor Maria. An hour or so later, I found Texas Jim Blake in the bar. Well, howdy, London. Double scotch and soda for my friend here. Very good, sir. Well, that was right nasty business about Miss Anders' maid, wasn't it? I understand you think you heard a shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard a shot. Mm, real honorary. Who do you think would have wanted to kill that poor girl? If I was in charge of this boat, I'd look for a gun that had been fired lately. Well, I doubt if you'd find it at the bottom of the ocean. You think you'd throw it overboard? Wouldn't you? Well, now, I suppose I would. That reminds me of a story I heard about a cowpoke back in Texas. Seems he Mr. Was about... Blake, do you ever get tired of that accent? How's that? What? I just talk the way folks talk in Texas. This ain't no accent, son. That's Texas talk. Yeah, okay, okay. Oh, by the way, were you in Dallas or Galveston when Maria was shot and pitched over the side? London, let me ask you a simple question. Why do you care where I was at when that shot was fired? You think I killed her? Did you? In Texas... Yes, we... yes, I know. In Texas, they shoot men for less than that. <laughs> You're joking me again, London. Hey, you know, London, I've been thinking. Now, naturally, I know Miss Linda and her uncle is interested in the sugar business in the Philippines, and 
Just as it happens, I got an interest in sugar myself. Stock in a company named the Southern Cross. You ever hear of it? Southern Cross Sugar? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've heard of it. They got a plantation of something like 50 square miles on the island of Negros, haven't they? Yeah, 50 square miles of sugar cane. That's what they tell us poor stockholders. But I'm from Texas, and I don't believe nothing that I don't see. Folks that run this shindig say we can sell more sugar and cheaper than any other company in the world. Well, I got money in this proposition, Chris. Good Texas money, and I'm going to see for myself. Um, you and Miss Linda wouldn't want to come along, would you? Sort of... Look over the plantation with me? Why, Mr. Blake, I just bet Miss Linda and I would be charmed to look over the Southern Cross plantation with you. Oh, you're always joking me, London, but I mean that invitation. Seriously. And I mean it. Seriously. Well, then, that is just wonderful. Tomorrow we'll be in Manila. I got me a boat waiting for me, and they tell me the trip to Negros just ain't nothing. Have another drink. A little later, I went down to Linda's stateroom to escort her to dinner. All right, Christopher. I'm ready. Linda, I've been talking to Jim Blake. Oh, the Texas steer. He's not funny. I think he's a killer. Yes, I think he tried to kill you and got Maria instead. Now he wants you and me to visit the Southern Cross Plantation. Says he has Texas money in it. But why, Christopher? I don't understand. Why would he... It's either a trap or a showcase. I, I don't know. I don't well, know. I still don't understand. Well, neither do I. Whatever it is, though, you're going to stay in Manila while I take a look at it. There's no point in us both taking a chance. I left Linda in Manila at the local office of her uncle's company. Blake and I went on together to the island of Negros and the huge Southern Cross Plantation. It rained constantly and the growl of distant thunder was almost continuous. The director of the plantation was a suave, expressionless fellow named Juan Ibarra who used words as if he were translating from another language. Coming from the south is bad weather, senores. Very bad storm. Well, if you haven't been in a Texas storm, you don't know what a storm is really like. What time is it, Chris? That's about four. Well, now, let me see. We've done pretty well for one day's inspection. We've gone through the refinery from top to bottom, saw the loading dock, drove through one of the fields of sugar cane. Well, what do you say we go back to the house and have us a drink? Yes, I could use one, Blake. While we drove back to the director's house, I asked a few innocent questions. Uh, Ibarra? Si, senor. Uh, tell me, how many men does it take to do the work on a place this size? It takes seven, eight thousand, maybe. Seven, eight thousand? Oh, that's a lot of men. Where do you keep them? Where do I keep them? Yes, I, I mean, where do they live? See, si, on the plantation. Here they live. Yes, I know that. Uh, hey, Chris, I've been thinking about that refinery. Are uh, you much of an engineer? Enough to understand the simple process of refining sugar. It seemed like a good plant. As you say, Senor London, the plant is good, but it is just the same like many others. No difference. Yes, yes, I suppose so. But I was asking about the workers on the place. Oh, what's that? No, wait a minute. Stop the car. Look, I said stop the car. No, Senor London. It is not to be wise to interfere. Oh, they're whipping that poor devil to death. Maybe he deserves it, huh, Ibarra? Well, nobody could deserve punishment like that. It is the only thing the bad ones understand, Senor London. And the subject was dropped, just like that. A few moments later, Ibarra let Blake and me out in front of the plantation house and drove the jeep away to the garage. For a moment, we stood together in the rain. He seemed a little subdued. Mm, too bad about what we've seen back there. I guess they ain't real human, or they're more like animals. Well, would you beat a horse or a dog to death? As a stockholder in this year plantation, I'm going to talk to Bar about that. You coming in? Uh, no, no, you go on ahead. I'll be right with you. Okay, I sure am soaking. Rain ain't nothing like Texas rain. 
There was something ominous about the place. Not just the steady rain or the thunder grumbling in the distance. Not just the cruelty I had glimpsed in the sodden jungle. No, it was something more. It was something worse than I was willing to let myself believe. As I entered the house, I saw that the living room was dark and apparently deserted. But there was a log blazing in the fireplace, so feeling damp and cold, I went and held my hands to its warmth. Senor London? What? Oh. Well, hello. I am Dolores, Senor London. Hello, Dolores. I was told you like scotch and soda. Uh, yes, 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 I, I have do. a drink all ready for you. Here, by the fire. A drink for me, too. Well, you or, or somebody seems to think of everything. No, thanks. Uh, you're Mrs. Ibarra, I suppose? No, senor, I am just Dolores. Oh. Is your drink as you would have it? Yes, it's just right, Dolores. Senor. Yes, Dolores. Just right. I... How can I say it? I had expected you to be the same. Like other friends of it. Peaky bar. But you are different. So very different. Save it. I suppose you were told to get me to talk. Another time it might be kind of pleasant to play that game. But not tonight. Senor. There's something I want to ask you, even though I don't expect an answer. If I asked you to come away with me, away from this plantation, right now, tonight, would they let us go? I... I do not know. That's the answer I expected. Well, I'm going to change it to some dry clothes. How long she'd been standing there in the doorway, I don't know. I hadn't heard a sound, but as I turned away from Dolores and started to my room... Hello, Christopher. Linda, I told you not to come. Aren't you glad to see me? Now, Linda, I wasn't hired to be your companion or your bodyguard. Now, I was hired to make one single investigation. Yes, how's the investigation going this week? Well, your uncle wants to know how Southern Cross is able to undersell him. I think I'm beginning to understand. Christopher, Hmm? I got a wire in Manila from my uncle. He's making some kind of a deal. He wants you to drop the whole thing. That's the first portion of the adventures of Christopher London. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the adventures of Christopher London. And that was that. I was just to drop the whole thing. But the whole thing was something I couldn't drop. Too much blood had been shed. Late that night, when the others were asleep, I stole out of the house. The center of the storm had veered around to the east and seemed somewhat nearer. By the flashes of lightning, I found the road I was looking for, the road Ibarra had avoided during our tour of inspection. The path wound through the jungle for perhaps a quarter of a mile and then came to what was unmistakably a concentration camp. 
miserable collection of shelters was completely surrounded by a high stockade of steel and barbed wire. The single gate was guarded by a sentry with a Tommy gun. One look was enough. Now I knew the secret of the Southern Cross's success. Forced labor. Slavery. I returned to the house and cautiously opened the door. Well, howdy, Chris. Been out walking, have you? Take his gun, Bar. It will be better you do not move, Senor Lano. Gracias. Christopher, I told you to drop the whole thing. Now see what you've done. You've ruined everything. It's uh, late, but I guess we don't feel much like sleeping now, do we? So let's just sit down in front of the fire and swap yarn. Isn't one of the mob missing? Where's Dolores? We don't need her for this little party. Come here, baby. Come here and sit down beside me. All right, Jim. Now? Now, if we're all together, I'll call the meeting to order. What happened to that Texas draw, partner? <laughs> I guess I'm just a big ham at heart, but... It, it serves a purpose. With that twang, you can talk to anybody and get away with practically anything. Christopher saw through it, though. The night we sailed. Yeah, London's smart. He's a lot too smart for his own good. I kept telling him that on those notes I left for him under his cabin door. Look, will I be interrupting if I ask a few questions? No. No, no, go ahead. Uh, well, first about me. I assume you have some kind of plan in mind? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, well, that's what I figured. If only you'd listen to me, Christopher, before it was too late. This talk of answers nothing. Why can't we not dispose of Senor London without delay further? Take it easy. There's no hurry. Yeah. Anything else you want to know, London? I think I already know most of it. I suppose the Filipino who was killed in San Francisco came from here. Yes, that's right. Managed to sneak off the place somehow. I see. Naturally, I had to kill him. That was close. <laughs> Scared, baby. I hate these storms. Well, I didn't know you scared so easily, Linda. Oh, by the way, was it you who killed your maid, Maria? Well, I had to, Christopher. She caught Jim and me together and guessed how it was. She said she was going to tell you, so... So I had to. You know, Linda, for a nice girl, you're something out of a nightmare. Christopher, you shouldn't talk to me like that. After all, it, it wasn't as if... <laughs> I think that hit the house. Listen, he is Dolores. I will go. There was a split second of confusion, but a split second can be the difference between life and death. I threw myself at Blake, slamming my shoulder into his chest, and we crashed to the floor. I got out of there with a broken left arm and a revolver. I don't know whether it was Blake's or Ibarra's. I don't know how much damage I did, but at least there was nobody following me as I retraced the road to the slave's stockade. The sentry was standing at the gate holding a Tommy gun cradled in his arm. I got as close to him as I could, sheltered by the trunk of a huge mahogany tree, less than 15 feet from the gate. And then he heard me. Oh, who goes there? Now listen to me very carefully. I'm giving you a chance to save your life. Drop your gun and open that gate. Who are you? A friend. Open the gate and let those men out. And I'll give you one more chance. I don't want to hurt you. Now let those men out. Well, if that's the way it's got to be... And Linda? She's dead, too? Yes, Mr. Anders. With the others. When the men streamed out of the stockade, there, well, there was no stopping them. But she died instantly with a bullet through her heart. What she did sounds as impossible as all the rest of it. Then actual slavery sounds impossible, too. 
Have you any idea how much actual slavery still exists in the world today? It's not a comforting thought, but one we can't afford not to think about. Freedom is still something to fight for. That was Christopher London, starring Glenn Ford, and created especially for radio by the world's most widely read mystery writer, Earl Stanley Gardner. Christopher London is produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and was tonight written by Mindred Lord. Musical score was composed and conducted by Lynn Murray. Mr. Ford's supporting company included Joan Banks, Virginia Gregg, Barton Yarbrough, Ted DeCorsia, Alan Reed, and Ben Wright. And be with us again next week at this time when Christopher London returns with another exciting excursion against crime. Stay tuned for the Phil Harris's and then Sam Spade on NBC. And that's the adventures of Christopher London from February 26, 1950 with The Price of Sugar, starring Glenn Ford, also in the cast, Joan Banks, Alan Reed, Ben Wright, and Lisa Wolf. Weren't you in the cast? Yes, I was. Thank you for noticing. Yes, it's heard on NBC. Well, before we tune into Life with Luigi, I want to tell everybody about our surprise boxes. And to do that, We'll bring in an expert, Lisa Wolf. I am the surprise box expert. Yeah. We have three surprise boxes. You can find them all on our website when you go there at Hollywood360radio.com. Surprise box number one is classic radio on CD. Surprise box number two is classic TV and movies on DVD. And surprise box number three is Twilight Zone audio dramas on CD. So you can order any of those. The price is $39.99, a mere $39.99 for a $150 value worth of merchandise. Go to our website. There's a pop-up, Hollywood360radio.com, and get more information there. Yeah, and if you want to order like a surprise box of Twilight Zone and also one of the movies and TV and also the classic radio, people do do that. They buy one of each sometimes. You can order anything you want, and we cater to you. That's right. And here's the thing. When this product is gone. It's gone. It's all gone. So this is a limited time offer. Go to Hollywood360radio.com. And when you're at our website, folks, don't forget, we have a free app, a classic radio app just for you. Just download it, and then you get 10 free classic radio shows. Download our app. And uh, how do you find it? Just go to our website, Hollywood360radio.com. There is a banner, and you can just click on the Google Store or the Apple Store and download the app and then get the 10 free classic radio shows. All right, it's time now for Life with a Luigi. My mom, who's 89 years old, it is her favorite classic radio show. And when I play these, I play them with a big hug to my mom. This was a comedy series starring J. Carol Nash as newly naturalized American citizen Luigi Basco. He was living in Chicago. And at the beginning of every episode, he would write a letter to his Mama Mia back in Italy telling her of his adventures. Now, Luigi owned an antique shop, and his sponsor, Pasquale, played by Alan Reed, owned a spaghetti palace. And uh, Pasquale's daughter, Rosa, she was very overweight. She was played by Jody Gilbert. Well, Pasquale really wanted to marry off Rosa to Luigi, and that was part of every episode. Very funny stuff. It was created by Cy Howard, 
of my friend Irma Fame came to radio in 1948, lasted until 1953, and for a time, it was sponsored by Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum, as is this episode we're about to listen to. Let's go back to April 4th, 1950, for the traffic light. Here's part one of Life with Luigi. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring that celebrated actor, Mr. J. Carroll Nash, with Alan Reed as Pasquale. And now let's read Luigi's letter as he writes about his adventures in America to his Mama Basco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, you want to know more how I'm spending my time in America? Well, like every good American, all day long I'm playing my radio. <laughs> Mamma Mia, you should hear what goes on in those stories I'm here every morning. Tom is a leave of Mary. Bess is a leave of Jack. Junior is a runaway altogether. <laughs> Then Uncle Frank, he's a robber bank at the Jones houses that go crazy. Everybody screaming and shouting and fighting. <laughs> this is a called a family type of program. <laughs> you don't believe this, Mamma Mia, but the whole country is listening to these exciting stories every day in a week. But not on a Saturday and a Sunday because everybody is taking the weekend off to rest. <laughs> Then in the night of time, they got to what's called private eyes stories. <laughs> Mamma mia, the things that's happening there. First, the fella is set the fire to a building. Detective is a chase him, a car is a turnover, everybody gets a killed, the other fella gets a murdered. <laughs> then is a comedy organ music. <laughs> then the crook is a get the revenge on a girl. He's a shooter, put her body in a cement, drop him in a river, he's a get a chased by the cops. He's exploded the cops about everybody is a get drowned. Then is a come some more organ of music. <laughs> Mamma mia, you would have loved this program. Such a beautiful organ of music. <laughs> Still with these stories. Mamma mia, is a siren. Must be fire or something. I'm better gonna see. What's happened? An automobile accident. Somebody was hit on the corner. Oh, yeah, that's the ambulance. All right, stand back, everybody. Let's have a little air. He's not hurt. Just a little shock. That's the fourth accident in this corner this year. And still the city want to put up a traffic light. Yeah, but why, Mr. Pellegrino? Why they don't put up a traffic light? Why? Why? Go fight the city hall. Yeah, they got money for everything. But I ask them to put up two little bulbs on the corner, a green one and a red one. They gotta hold a general election to find out if they got enough dough in the treasury. Yeah, maybe they should have a martial plan for traffic lights, sir. Yeah, but Mr. Pellegrino Astro, maybe is it possible they don't know about it is a busy corner on a holster in a maple. Maybe if somebody was to tell don't them. Don't make me laugh. Alderman Johnson promises a traffic light before every election. Then he gets elected, and you know them campaign promises. Sure, it's like a girl who promises her fellow the moon. And then they get married, and he sees the stars. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but maybe if it was enough for people to ask for a traffic Not light. Not a chance. 
They figure we're living in a democracy? Everybody's got the same right to get bumped off. Yeah, but wait, wait, I know. Tonight in my night school class, I'm gonna ask my teacher, Miss Balding, all about this. Ah, uh, go ahead, Luigi. It don't hurt to try. Uh. Sure. Maybe she's gonna have some ideas how we gonna get to this traffic light. Sure, sure. But in the meantime, take my advice, Luigi. Don't you try to cross a whole stead of Maple Street without a Boy Scout. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, please, please. I'll call the roll. Mr. Basco? Present. Mr. Harwood? Present. Mr. Olson? Present. Mr. Schultz? I ain't got a present, but if I knew you was coming, I'd have baked the cake. <laughs> oh, thank you, fellow boobers. That was a lollapalooza. <laughs> all right, all right. Now let's get on with our lesson. Today we are taking up some irregular verbs, and we'll start with the verb to be. Mr. Horowitz, will you conjugate the verb? With pleasure. What's the question? <laughs> oh, now, please pay attention. Conjugate the verb to be. Oh, yes. To be, I be, you be, she be. Oh, no, no. Is that how you speak English? I be in the movies, you be in the movies, she be in the movies? Sure, if it's a bee picture. <laughs> Mr. Schultz, class, I would like a correct answer on that question. Yeah, well, if you would like to make certain... Why don't you just call on me, Miss Spaulding? Oh, I hate a show-off. <laughs> Go ahead, Mr. Olson. You may conjugate the verb to be. Yeah. A, M, U, or he, is, she, is, we, or you, or they, are. Olson, the suspense is killing me. What are we? <laughs> All right, Mr. Schultz, I've heard enough. Now you conjugate to be. Me? Yes. All right. He be and she be got married and they had a little baby. Well, I can see I'll never get the correct answer from you. Mr. Basco, you may conjugate the verb to go. That's easy. The car want to go. Mr. Basco, conjugate it. You think that's going to start the car? Oh, no. Mr. Basco, don't you know what's wrong? Sure, there's a lots of cars are gone, but there's no traffic light. What? It's the corner of the Holster and the Maple Street. It should have a traffic light, so maybe it wouldn't be so many accidents like it was a happen again today. Again? Oh, no. What's our civilization coming to? It used to be, give a man a horse, he can ride. Now let's give a man a car so he can have an accident with it. <laughs> oh, come now, Mr. Schultz. The automobile was a great invention. Yeah, some invention. Twenty million drivers running around the streets aiming at each other. <laughs> the whole country is like a giant shooting gallery. Miss Pudding, was a friend of Astro was told me today that it's not possible to get a traffic light on the corner of a holster and a maple. You think so? Well, in our country, Mr. Basco, nothing is impossible. You could write your alderman, wire your congressman, appeal to some civic group, or write to some newspaper. Better still, go home, lock the door, hide under the bed, and pray a car won't find you. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the use, Luigi? It ain't so easy to get public improvement so far. But uh, Schultz, uh, my mind is made up. I'm going to write a letter to the newspaper. Yo, that was a good idea, Luigi. Sure, you got nothing to lose. I'm not going to get in trouble if I'm a do this, huh? Of course not. That's the duty of a good citizen. Why, certainly. There's no trouble. Now, you sit down, write a letter, and we'll see if we can't help you right now. Oh, thank you, Miss Spalding. I'm all right. 
Dere knows the pepper friends. I'm a thing. Hey, Luigi, that's some letter you got in the paper. Oh, hello, Astro. You saw the word of my name on the bottom? Yeah. Hey, you're a celebrity. The whole neighborhood is talking about it. We even got a few petitions going around. Petition? What's that? Well, you, you you take a piece of paper, write what you want on it, and everybody signs their name on it. Oh, it's like the Declaration of Independence. That's so good. <laughs> hey, Luigi, you got your name on a paper right on a dicker Tracy. You're a big shot, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mr. Pellegrino. Uh, it's about a time someone is a complaint about that corner. Hey, Luigi, do me a favor and write me a letter on your paper tomorrow, huh? Sure, what do you want, Mr. Pellegrino? Well, I'm a guy to walk three blocks to the street of car. See if you can make the streetcar stop by my house, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Luigi, me boy! Oh, hello, Officer Flanagan. Hey, did you see Luigi was to write a letter in the paper? Sure, huh? I did, and it was a fine letter indeed. Hey, Flanagan, how come you don't stand in the middle of the street and direct the traffic? Because I've got to cover me beat. You know what would happen if I directed traffic, don't you? Yeah, the beat would be covering you. Mamma mia, they're making me feel so important. Luigi, my friend. <laughs> hello, Luigi, hello, hello. Oh, hello, Pasquale. Well, well, well. Look who's writing the letters to the newspaper. My own little banana nose. <laughs> oh, stop, Pasquale. <laughs> Look, honey, you. Only a year and a half in the country, already you're telling the government where they should put their traffic lights. Yeah, but I was... Maybe you should tell them what color lights you would like in the traffic signals. Maybe instead of red, you want it should be a lavender. Or maybe you should write your next letter to the president and say, Dear Mr. President, how's about we should move Europe to America so people could go abroad without leaving the country? <laughs> no, but Pasquale, I'm an understander. You're not angry because I'm a wrote the letter to the paper, huh? No, I'm not angry. Luigi, I've been here 27 years. I'm a full citizen. And I never yet wrote a letter to a newspaper. And you know why? Because you can't write English. <laughs> that ain't the only reason. It's because I got more sense than to tell the government how they should run their business. Truman don't tell me where to sell my spaghetti. I don't tell him where to play his piano. <laughs> Now, for you taking my advice... Hello? Luigi Pasco here? Yeah, that's me. What am I can do for you? I'm Hal Brown from the Neighborhood Political Club. The boss sent me down to have a talk with you. Oh, you poor fella. You lonely, you got nobody to talk with, huh? <laughs> Mr. Pasco, that was a nice letter you sent into the paper yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Don't send any more. Huh? Pasco, you want me to lay my cards on the table? But I'm a no-play poker. What? Look, Pasco, I'm not here to kid around. Luigi, you let me handle this. You shut up! Luigi, you better handle it. I'll give it to you straight, Pasco. The boss promised the voters that traffic light in his last campaign, and a campaign before that, and a campaign before that. Then why he's never kept his promise and gave him a traffic light? Well, you see, it has to come before a referendum. That is, the legislative acts according to the constituted bodies it proceeds by process of gerrymandering. Maybe I'm a stupider, but I don't understand it. 
Luigi, this is a politics and nobody understands you. Look, Basco, I understand the neighborhood is sending around petitions and you're going to send them to the mayor. Be a smart boy and call the whole thing off. Yeah, but a traffic light is going to be a good thing. You'll get it. Don't worry. Only let the boss handle it his own way. And the when? What's the difference when? The boss will decide when. And the boss. He's the side when another little boy is going to get hit by a car. Tell him, mister. Is the boss got any little boys and girls of his own? Hey, Pasco, you a radical? What's that? Look, Basco, you got a nice little antique shop here, but don't be surprised if some inspector or cop walks in one of these days and finds out reasons why the joint should be closed. Ma, closed? Yeah, little things like fire violations, zoning infractions, health infringements. Good night, Mr. Basco. Luigi. What the Pasquale? Sooner the swallows, are they going to fly back to Capistrano? I think you're going to be with them. <laughs> you think I'm a dead wrong, Pasquale? That's a summer question. You think I'm a dead wrong? You only made enemies with the alderman, that's all. He's going to pass the word up to the mayor about certain complaining immigrant. The mayor whispers to the governor. The governor tips off for the president. Then the president calls up with the radio repairman in your neighborhood and he jams up your radio. Yeah, but why, Pasquale? Why? I tell you why. So whenever Walter Winchell tells the American people some important national secret, you're going to be left out. <laughs> Mamma mia! That's the first portion of Life with Luigi. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time it's the conclusion to Life with Luigi starring J. Carol Nash. Then Charles McGraw stars in the premiere episode of The Man from Homicide from 1950. You won't want to miss both of those things. We'll see you next time right here on Hollywood 360.